Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory empty center for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, we talk with Jeremy Yarnazelli, our local resident property tax expert, to talk about what the hell do you do if your property goes negative cash flow? We talk about negative gearing, positive gearing, positive cash flow, all of these types of things so we can understand it. And as investors, understand how to leverage it to our advantage and how to think about things in this current environment. Now, there's no shying away from the fact that interest rates have risen. Some people who had positive cash flow properties, they're no longer cash flow positive. And so what we need to do is we need to think about how do we adapt and evolve to our current environment and the current state of affairs, which is what we talk about in this episode. So if you're interested in understanding how to navigate this kind of environment, maybe your properties have gone negative cash flow, or maybe they haven't. Maybe you just had negative cash flow properties from the start. How to take advantage of this situation and what you can do about it and all of this kind of stuff, then this is the episode for you. Lots of really, really super valuable advice here as it relates to property, tax, negative gearing, tax deductions, all of that kind of stuff. Critical information for any property investor. And so if you're a property investor or you want to be a property investor or property investing is something that's on your horizon, this is the information I wish I got when I very first started my journey. So make sure you check it out. I can't wait to share it with you. So let's get stuck right into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is our resident property tax expert, Jeremy Yarnazelli. Jeremy, how are you? Very well, Goose, mate. Things are uh, rocking and rolling and uh, looking forward to a great Christmas break that's coming up very soon. Are you seeing the, um, are you seeing, how are you seeing the property market this year leading up to the Christmas? Because normally there's like, you know, the spring rush and all of this kind of stuff. Have you, are you saying the same thing? You obviously deal with a lot of property investors. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of, bit of left and a bit of right. So I am definitely seeing a bit more of a rush now for people to purchase properties. I think more people are understanding that as rates increase, their borrowing capacity will start to come down a little bit. So people want to capture that and get into the market before being essentially in a position where they're, let loaned out of it where they can't mm. get the lending. So I am seeing a bit more activity, um, much more since the 0.25% increase that happened in November. So that's definitely a positive. Um, however, uh, at the same time, I've, I've noticed that vendors are willing to negotiate a bit further. Uh, why? Because they don't want to have a property prior to Christmas that's going to stay stale. So mm. it's actually good buying and good selling on both ends. And there's deals to be made for both vendors and purchasers. Yeah, totally. It's a very interesting time, isn't it? Because to your point, if interest rates keep going up, people are able to borrow less. And so if you wait until, I don't know, let's say, oh, I'll wait till after Christmas, which really means you'll probably wait till February or March, your borrowing capacity is going to have changed by then to the degree that maybe you can't buy a property or maybe it's going to be harder for you or something like that. So there's an added incentive to actually try and buy sooner, right? So that you can actually do it. But then also for sellers on the same side of the on the same side of the fence as well, they don't want to be stuck holding the bag on this side of like waiting through the whole kind of Christmas, January kind of period and stagnating and 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 being stuck with a property that sits on the market for too long. And then it's like, oh, it's been on the market for 90 days. And so you got all these kind of it's a really interesting mix of um of circumstances right now that I think is really creating an optimal scenario for both buyers and sellers. So really good point. But mate, what I want to talk about today is negative cash flow, right? So with interest rates going up. Um, we've, uh, you know, on our podcast and everything like that, we've talked often about uh, getting positive cash flow properties. That's been a big part of our approach over the last couple of years, which has been great, you know, but we, we definitely get higher yields and we get typically 71% higher yields than the national average. So all of that is well and truly good. However, 
you can't escape the realities that interest rates have now risen to such a point that many properties which were cash flow positive are now not cash flow positive. And I think that there's um, a risk or um, a potential that property investors are looking at these properties and going, well, now they don't work. You know, this property is no good. I won't buy, even if it might be a six, 6% six yielding property, it could be a five, five and a half, six percent 6% yielding property, which is very good still. Um, and they're going, well, no, nah, it doesn't work. And so I, I think investors are actually at risk of actually putting themselves out of the market. So kind of what I wanted to talk to you about is how do we manage negative cash flow? How do we think about it? How do we how do we think about that from a tax perspective? How do we think about that from a cash flow perspective? All of that kind of stuff. Um, I was thinking about it for our clients and for ourselves. And I thought, what a great, let's get you on the podcast and let's talk about it here. So just to kind of kick things off, could you just to kind of explain the difference between positive gearing and positive cash flow? Are they the same thing? Or are they not? And negative negative gearing, right? And is negative cash flow negative gearing? Like just so we can get kind of like the the definition of terms and get all on the same page. Yeah. Okay. So when we reference to gearing, gearing is much more around tax. So positive gearing means that the taxable income of the property exceeds the taxable deductions of the property. Um, so that would be that you take council rates, water rates, anything that can be claimed as a tax deduction against the property, even with depreciation uh, involved, which is a non-cash deduction, but part of a deduction that we claim from a gearing perspective. So just remember when someone's talking about gearing, they're referring to tax. Positive mm. gearing, taxable income exceeds taxable deductions. Positive gearing amount is what you pay tax on. Negative gearing is your taxable income does not exceed your taxable deduction. So taxable deductions are higher than taxable income. That negative gearing then acts as a tax deduction in your return to which you get then a tax benefit on. So gearing is tax. Cash flow is very different. Positive cash flow is when the total income of the property exceeds the total outflow of the property, which may include principal repayments. So I've seen properties with clients where they are positive geared, so taxable income is positive, but negative cash flow. Why? Because they've, start, they've started to go on to uh, principal and interest, and that principal repayment eats to their cash flow, which means that they're having to you know, fork out a little bit of cash to continue to pay down the property. But what I always uh, you know, encourage to tell people all the time is that you know, if you do have a negative cash flow property, but it is positive geared from a tax point of view, don't look at it essentially as I'm losing money because you're not. You're actually paying down the liability, which increases equity. And in the end, we're always after what our net equitable position is. So what's our net worth? Net worth is assets, less liabilities. So that's probably the crux of it all. Gearing is a tax implication, whether it's positive or negative. And cash flow is genuine money that comes in versus the genuine money that goes out which is inclusive of principal repayment. So hope that gives everyone a bit of an aspect of how an accountant or how a property investor should look at gearing versus cash flow. Yeah, that's it's really good. And that's a really good insight because I think that that is a, a, a kind of misstep that a lot of people make. They go, maybe they're on principal and interest and they're going, well, it's not positive cash flow. It's like, but in effect, those principal payments are deferred profit in a way. You're effectively saying that is cash flow that I am going to go choose to buy back equity in my asset so I can change my balance sheet items, which is my assets and liabilities. And so you're repurposing that cash to effectively to buy back equity. Now in companies, they would call that a share buyback scheme. They would say, oh, we've got all, we've got all these profits. You know what we're going to do with it? We're going to go and buy back shares off the other shareholders to increase our, our owned equity position. And so that's actually can be a really, really good strategy, particularly in business, if you know, depending on uh, what the growth opportunities are. And I think a lot of people make a misstep there. So 
So you can be positively you can be positively geared without being positive cash flow. Is it possible to be uh, negatively geared without being negative cash flow? The answer is yes. Really? Is yes. So yeah. So um, I've got you know many clients who may have negative gearing. Um, but on interest-only loans, it represents after tax benefits taken into account, positive cash flow. So you might have, you know, a newish property, or you may have done a big renovation to it, where there's quite a bit of depreciation, a non-cash deduction, and that depreciation acts as a taxable deduction, which puts the property potentially maybe into negative gearing, so tax-wise. Um, and then when we have a negative gearing benefit. When we take into account the tax refund attached to that negative gearing benefit, it actually puts the property into positive cash flow. So you might have a negative gearing benefit of say $10,000, which represents potentially a three or $4,000 tax benefit. When you add back that three or $4,000 tax benefit to a property which might be negative cash flow by only a couple grand, then you've just represented yourself a one or two, three or $4,000 potential, whatever the numbers are, positive cash flow. And I like to call it a perfect property because that's when you're getting a tax benefit from the government to assist in you obtaining a cash flow in your hand. That's positive. It doesn't last forever though, because depreciation in general terms diminishes. So it does get lower and lower each year, which will then bring the property back to its true nature, which could be um, negative cash flow, positive cash flow. So mm. there is a window of time, Goose, that a negative geared property can be positive cash flow. Yeah, interesting, interesting. But you can you? I know I'm getting it's interesting dancing around these terms. So it has to be first negative, then you can claim back the tax and make it positive. In effect, correct, correct. Okay, that's really interesting. And so, like, what kinds of things can, can, can people claim? Because, and also, let me just kind of like dig around this a little bit. Because one of the so you basically negative gearing is effectively claiming the um well effectively you're claiming the tax benefits right on your expenses. So you could Correct. be you could be positive cash flow, and also still claim expenses, and also get additional cash flow. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it is definitely. Yeah, so you might be positive cash flow already, and uh, it might have lots of non-cash deductions, and we'll get into what non-cash deductions are. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you can actually get a little bit of benefit from the government, but it doesn't last forever. And mm. and I do tell people all the time that it's not a strategy, it's an outcome. You'll hear lots of people out there that talk about negative gearing as a strategy. Um, I, I like to say it's a little bit of a silver lining that the government has provided in aid of investors to buy property and create rental properties for people to rent, of course, but it never should be the strategy. The strategy mm. should always be, how do I turn this property into positive gearing and positive cash flow in the long run. Because in the end, um, I haven't seen anybody being able to retire on property portfolios that are negatively geared and negative cash flow. 100%. Because one day we're not going to work. Totally. And it could be, you could have all the equity in the world, but you can't take equity to the shops, right? So you've got to be able to create, produce that, in, have those income producing assets. So, Okay, what kind of things can you claim? So there's cash deductions and non-cash deductions, right? And so what is the difference? What types of things can people be thinking about claiming against their against their properties? And, and how can we start to use that info? Yeah, so we'll start with the basic ones. Cash deductions will include council rates, you know, property agent fees, it might be leasing fees involved, water rates, you might have insurances. Interest is a big one and understanding 
the eligible interest that you can claim. A big thing that I see that everybody misses is that they've taken equity potentially out of their own home, their principal place of residence, they've created a split, and they've used that equity to fund the deposit and costs of property number one, which is their first property. I see it so many times from new clients that come on board that they never claim the equity that they use to purchase the property and therefore missed out on interest, which could possibly be on 20% of the property's value or slightly more if they've used that to pay for uh, closing costs or, or purchase costs, such as stamp duty, solicitor's fees and buyer's agency fees as well. So the big one is understanding the interest that is eligible to claim as a tax deduction. So there are a lot of your major uh, cash deductions as well as repairs and maintenance and some sundry costs, which could be annual bank fees. The non-cash deductions is the big one. So depreciation, a lot of people think that because my property is 10 or 15 years old, there might not be depreciation. That's not often the case. You know, if you've got a property that's been built after 1984-85, around that date, there might be some eligible Division 40, which is, sorry, Division 43 called Capital Works Deductions. And that is the depreciation on the building itself. So that's a big one. Um, and another one I quite often see that a lot of people miss are borrowing costs. So these are costs um, that relate to obtaining the loan. So such as lenders mortgage insurance, a lot of people we buy with 10% deposits. We may not have um, you know, some perks that other professions get where they can avoid paying lenders mortgage insurance on 90% loans. But for the rest of us mugs, you know, we might have to pay the lenders mortgage insurance. And that is a cost which is capitalized into the loan, meaning you don't physically pay it out of your back pocket as cash it goes and gets added onto the loan balance, but we can claim and amortize borrowing costs over five years. Um, so that's a 20% deduction each year of the lender's mortgage insurance that we can claim. So that's another non-cash deduction I see many people miss. That's a really interesting um, one because I didn't know about that one. I actually didn't. So a lot of the other stuff, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. Most people don't realize that you can actually claim the interest expense and you know, there's the nuance to that, but claim the interest expense on your investment property loans. A lot, a lot of people are like, what? You could claim the interest expense against your tax, but the LMI is an interesting one. The LMI is a really interesting one. So let's say, just for arbitrary the maths, that your LMI is $5,000 and that gets then capitalized into the loan. So let's, again, just for simple maths, this wouldn't actually be the case. Um, let's say it's a $500,000 loan and you had $5,000 uh, lender's mortgage insurance, your loan would in effect become a $505,000 loan because it would be put on top of the loan. So all good. But then what you're saying is that over the next five years, you can claim that five grand back effectively in, in offset in your tax. Correct. Yeah. So it's and free. It's so, it's so commonly missed, so commonly missed. And you know, for some people that could be 30, 40, or 48% tax benefit on that 5K. So people go, oh, I've paid five grand LMI, but potentially in effect, after tax benefits being claimed, it could be as little as three and a half or potentially say $2,200 of LMI that you paid. Mm. Um, so I try to tell people, you know, while it's not great paying lenders mortgage insurance, don't let it deter you um, because being a tax deduction gives you the ability to get yourself into a property and accelerate your property portfolio. Personally. While doing it. Firstly, I think LMI is great. Like I think I think the amount that you save in capital versus the return you get on that input, I think it's like I think it's I think it's brilliant personally. That's my personal opinion. Let's talk about let's talk about deductions a little bit, right? Because when people hear tax deductions, they think it's free. They're like, what? I can claim the interest. So I don't have so all of the interest is free. I can claim it all on tax. It's all free. Because I see a lot of 
like a lot of business owners get in trouble with this, particularly tradies, I see, when there'll be some kind of like, oh, you know, you can get 100%, you know, tax back on your on a new ute or whatever. So they go, great, basically a free ute. All I need to do is go and buy it and claim it back. But then they only get back a portion of it. And they're like, whoa, if I knew that it was going to actually be out of pocket this much, that w- I wouldn't have gone and bought the new bloody ute or whatever. So I've seen, I've actually personally know a bunch of people who've done that. So <laughs> when you're claiming back on tax, it doesn't mean that it's free. You mean to get a portion of that back. Is that correct? And then how much do people can, is it as simple as going, what tax bracket am I in? Or talk to us about that. Yeah. So we're in, in Australia, we, we run on a marginal tax rate system. So as our income increases and we go through the different tax thresholds, the rate of tax that we pay on a dollar that we earn does change. So, you know, it's funny you talk about tradies because they're the ones I see most commonly getting sucked into spending, you know, 10 grand on the 30th of June. And they say to me, Jeremy, oh, I've got this 10 grand deduction. Um, I'll get the 10 grand back as a refund. And there's some education then behind it, how I explain and say, well, no, your income at present is 100 grand and your tax rate at present, say 31 or 32 cents in the dollar. So that means for that $10,000 that you've spent, you're only getting 3100 to $3,200 back as a tax benefit, which is physical cash. Um, so which is very good, much the, which is good to get thirty one hundred back, but it's not the same as getting ten grand back. No, and they always say, "But Jeremy, if I knew that I wasn't going to get the ten grand back, I probably wouldn't have spent the money on, you know, a blower that I probably won't need or use for once or twice." So, yeah, unfortunately, what it does mean is that if we, you know, we do have some negative gearing, and again, we reference back to negative gearing mean tax uh, on our investment property portfolio. And let's say, for argument's sake, we have ten thousand dollars worth of negative gearing after we've worked out the taxable income versus taxable deductions, then that 10,000 will act as a deduction against our wages, income that we earn in our tax return. And in essence, depending on your tax rate, which could be 19 cents in the dollar, 31 to 32 cents in the dollar, 41 cents in the dollar, or as high as up to 45, 46 cents in the dollar, not quoting Medicare levy in those cases, you could be getting back zero in tax if you're earning no income, $1,900, $3,200, or close to $4,800 as a tax refund. So a negative geared property of $10,000 could be the difference of close to $5,000 as a refund. So then you've got to ask yourself, well, was it worth keeping that property for a net out-of-pocket cost of $5,000 after the refund's been received? What's been my potential growth and what is my potential foreseeable growth in the future? Once you do that calculation, sometimes you just say, well, it's a cost to invest for a greater capital return in the future. So it's kind of like a business. I'm spending this money, but I'm seeing potential capital growth being X later on to come. Totally. So is it as simple as going, you know, just for any investor, whether the property is positive or negative, like just, is it as simple as going, what are all my, I'll focus on the tax, uh, on the cash um, deductions, right? My operating expenses are $10,000. My tax bracket is 32.5%. So of those $10,000 in, in annual operating expenses, so rent, uh, property management, et cetera, et cetera, I'm going to get $3,250 back. So I just whack $3,250 on, on top of whatever the cash flow I've got in that property. Is it that simple? Yeah, it's that simple. So as long as you're taking into account your rental income, of course. So you know, if you've got $10,000 of deductions and you've got $10,000 of rental income, well, you're, net, you're gearing zero. Uh, but on the basis you've got, say, $10,000 expenses and you've got zero rental income, 
because the property didn't get rented for whatever purpose, then yeah, that's how it works from a tax perspective. So best example I could give Goose, and I'll just explain in my numbers, I've got 20 grand worth of rental income cash-wise, and I've got 30 grand worth of rental expenses cash-wise. I've got now a $10,000 cash negative gearing balance that I've got to claim in my tax return. That 10,000 that I've lost throughout the year, when it comes to tax time, I get my $3,200 back if I'm on a 32% tax rate. And therefore, the real net out-of-pocket cost for the property to hold at that financial year was only the better part of about $6,800. So that's probably the best example to use. Yeah, okay. What about if it's the other way around? Like, what if what if you've got net operating expenses of, of 10 grand, right? And you've got property income of 20 grand. Yep. Right? Hypothetical numbers, right? So you're actually... So the, the income of the asset is greater than the expenses of the asset, yep. but those expenses are still tax deductible expenses, right? Yeah, those expenses are tax deductible. So it helps reduce the $20,000 rental income to show the true net income position of the property. So if the true net income position of the property in your example is $10,000, therefore we would be paying tax on $10,000. So you know, that means that we're paying $3,200 tax and we've got $6,800 genuine cash after tax in our pocket to pay our loans or as we wish. Okay. So that's really interesting, right? So basically, if if you are net positive cash flow, if your property is net positive cash flow, in effect, that cash flow takes into consideration the deductions in effect, right? Because you've taken the gross income minus the minus the expenses equals your cash flow. So effectively, you've already reduced that. And let's say, yeah, you end up with $10,000 cash flow, you pay tax on that as, as net income. But if it's the other way around, then of course, you get to actually bring that, you get to rebalance that the other way. And so, Correct. yeah, okay, that's good. That's good. That's good. And so if someone's, yeah, okay, cool. So people, are, okay, let's go back to the negative side of it because that's where people are most interested. We're most, we're most interested in focusing today because People's properties, a lot of people's properties that were cash flow positive and now cash flow negative. So, we, did we cover all of the different uh, expenses they can claim, or did I jump in there? Yeah, no, no. M- most of the expenses have been provided. There are obviously many other things uh, in there. What's the difference of a repairs and maintenance and the difference of a capital improvement? What is depreciation? What is an upfront cost? Um, but because there's so many factors around it, one needs to really make sure that they understand the crux of what the person spent to give the right advice. But what we've talked about generally is the main costs associated with holding investment property. There's something I'm struggling to get my head around with, with the negative gearing thing. And let me just try and pull this apart because maybe I'm just being a bit thick here, right? Let's say, let's just say you've got a property which is produces $10,000 of income, right? Yep. And it's got $20,000 of costs. So you've got $10,000 of negative, gear, negative gearing balance in that example, mm-hmm. okay? Now, let's say that you're, just for simple Stevens, that your tax rate is 30, 33%, right? Yep. So of that $10,000, which you, which you have spe- expenses which are greater than your income, you can claim $3,300 on that. Correct. As a genuine cash refund. Correct. Genuine so cash refund. Genuine so, cash refund. So the $10,000 would be negative gearing in your return. And the tax office would rebate you $3,300 as a physical cash. That makes total sense. Well, the bit that doesn't make sense to me is how that becomes positive cash flow. Now, in that example, it wouldn't because you would, be, you would still be cash flow negative by 10 grand. And mm-hmm. then you would get 3300 back. So yep. you'd be cash flow negative by, you'd be cash flow negative by $6,700 uh, $6, or whatever it is. 
So you be cash flow negative by $6,700. Now, we can change the dynamics of that 10 grand and 20 grand, but you're only ever going to be able to claim a portion of whatever you are negatively geared by. And so, I'll, I'll show so you, how does I'll that become positive how, cash flow? Yes, that's a good question. So let's, let's do the numbers now. So I've got $20,000 of rental income mm. and I've got $22,000 of expenses. Okay. So I'm out of pocket $2,000. Let's say now I bring in depreciation. I've got now $5,000 worth of depreciation. So remember, I'm $2,000 uh, negatively geared cash-wise. I've got my non-cash deductions being included now, which is, say, five grand. So overall, I've got $7,000 tax deductions to claim in my tax return. So $20,000 income, $22,000 of expenses, plus another $5,000 worth of non-cash deductions such as depreciation, total deductions to claim in the return, 27 grand, total income, $27,000 loss. Now, let's say my tax rate is 40, let's say for argument's sake, 50 cents in the dollar, 48 cents really, but we'll say 50 cents in the dollar. That 50 cents in the dollar on my $7,000 deduction would represent a $3,500 physical cash benefit from the ATO. However, we only had $22,000 of expenses against our 20 grand worth of income. So we had a $2,000 cash loss. If the government is paying me three and a half grand as a refund, but I've had to fork out that $2,000 net cash flow loss to pay for my expenses, we've just got a $1,500 cash positive um, income position on that property helped by the tax office. Mm. So the main so that's lever how a negative year property can turn into a positive cash flow property when you take into account the non-cash deductions. Bingo. That's the bit that you need to take into account is the non-cash deductions. Because if it's just the cash bit, it won't make sense. But when you've got the non-cash deductions like depreciation, that makes it make sense. Cool. This is good. And so how does this work if you're in a, if you if you've got properties in a trust? Yeah, so from a trust perspective, a trust can't distribute negative gearing. And again, gearing means tax. So if you've generally lost, you know, five, six thousand dollars um, on holding your investment property after you've taken into account the income, that five or six thousand dollars gets carried forward. So it's locked in the trust. Unfortunately, can't claim that against your personal income. But what happens is that loss gets carried forward to a year when the trust starts to become positively geared. So when the trust starts to produce genuine passive income, we offset that passive income by the losses that we've carried forward. And therefore, we only start to pay tax on the distributions after the losses have been utilised. So, you know, I've used it in many cases where, you know, for instance, the husband is earning a high income, the property may be only negatively geared for a couple of years. So we want to carry forward that loss because the wife's at home taking care of the kids and probably no, not going to head back to work for a while. So it makes sense to say, well, we forego the negative gear in a, for a couple of years, but what we do get is the ability to distribute the profit to the wife later on where her income is quite minimal and we haven't lost those losses. Mm. So it's a very intuitive entity which allows you to be quite flexible and take advantage of certain situations. For many business owners out there, uh, there are ways to claim losses in a trust uh, through distributions, depending on the way that your company is structured. So definitely be saying, consult with your accountant to see how you possibly can do that. Um, but for most people out there earning wages and employed by an employer, losses in a trust are carried forward to be later utilized against profitable income earning years of the trust. And 
you know, Goose, I've been investing for a long time now, almost the better part of 16 to 17 years. And the one thing that I can say is that, you know, where my trusts were negatively geared over 10 years ago, um, they are still now positive, uh, substantially positive, because why? Uh, the rents have doubled in those years. And believe it or not, the loan doesn't double with the rent. You know, once you've bought that property and the loan's locked in, it doesn't double or move with the inflation. It stays the same way. So in essence, I'm using today's money to pay off 10 years ago's loan, which is ideal. So I encourage people to look at the property, not just today. Mm. Need to look at the property and, you know, what it will present in five and 10 years. And, and yes, we're going through a little bit of a rate increase in environment. But if you really pull back history, yes, rates go up, but they don't stay high for very long. They do start to come down after they've met their necessary effect, which is controlling inflation. 100%. Yeah, I did a little look at that a while ago, and I couldn't see a period of time where it lasted for more than like 24 months. You know, most times it was way, way, way shorter than that. And it's like the easiest way to create a to, to buy a cash flow positive or to have a cash flow positive property is to buy a property, just wait a little while. Like, now I don't want to be too, uh, too, too, too blase about that because depending on the yield you get, it's going to depend on how long you need to wait. But like the reality is if you're buying a property right now that's negative cash flow by, I don't know, one or two or three grand, it's not going to be a very long period of time before, before the rents are going to, before the rents are going to move enough for that to be positive cash flow. Yeah. Can I just well, add? I just I bring it back to one of the first properties I purchased in the southwestern suburbs of Sydney, you know, 250-odd thousand purchase price. The rent was one ninety a week. You know, fast forward that 16 years, the rent's over $600 and, the, you know, the loan is still what it was, which is about 220K, 210K. So, you know, in that period of time, the property has more than tripled in rent. The loan stayed the same. Uh, interest rates have come down starting to go back up. But that's a property which was costing me quite a bit of money when rates were seven and three quarter percent when I first bought it, where today it's put in a substantial amount of money in my back pocket. And, you know, that's the beauty of compounding returns, the beauty of inflation, the beauty of holding property mm. and the beauty of rental income and how it moves over many years. Totally. People for, people know that property prices compound, but they forget that property rents also compound. <laughs> you know, there's, there's... It's, it's an environment for it. You know, I've seen my personal portfolio as a whole, the increase in the last 12 months has probably been about two and a half thousand, three thousand dollars a week. I've been able to increase my rental income across the portfolio. Awesome. And yes, my costs have, you know, gone up with interest, but nevertheless, rents don't always stay the same for 20 years. It does move mm. in line with people's earning capacity. Totally. Just on the um just going back to the trust thing, those carried forward losses that you might get if you accrue those in a trust, can they offset capital gains tax as well? So they can. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you've got, let's say you've got five years of ten thousand dollars a year in losses, right? So fifty thousand dollars in carried forward losses, and then in the sixth year you sell the property and you've got fifty thousand dollars of CGT, for example. You could, you could basically say, well, we already lost. You've already we've already lost fifty grand, and we don't have to pay any CGT. Or how does that work? Yeah, that's correct. So those carry forward losses help offset the capital gain that has been made from you know investments. So people tend to forget that. And also what people need to understand, and you know, it's quite important, you may invest in a property when your tax rate's at 19% or, or 30%, whatever it may be. But when you sell a property in your own name, generally we try to sell for a large profit. And that means that you'll be, you'll be paying capital gain tax at you know, 48 cents in the dollar, for instance, on the net capital gain that you've made. So you need to factor that in that you may have got a tax benefit on the negative gearing at 30%, ATO is very smart, um, then you have to pay tax when you sell the property 
at 48 cents in the dollar on the net capital gain, whereas in a trust, you've got the ability to absorb the losses and then distribute the profits to potentially lower marginal tax rate payers. So, so many advantages, so many doors you can open by investing in a trust, not just from a lending point of view, which many mm. people know, but also from a tax point of view. And the more tools that you give your accountant to save tax, the more ability uh, that we have to execute those plans. So yes, to answer your question in short, the losses carried forward can be utilized against capital gains that you make in the future. Awesome. Love it. Love it. But this sounds makes makes it seem a little bit a little less scary when you're looking at negative cash flow, knowing what you can get back. I think a lot of people, I think the, the principle and interesting I think is people the thing that people need to get their head around. The fact that it's it may be negative cash flow, but that's actually you're accruing equity on the balance sheet. So that's good. But knowing that you can kind of claim back, particularly with the particularly right now, because interest rates I think will be transitory. I think they're going to come down, normalize, or even if they stay the same, rents are going to rot. So this current economics of an asset are not going to be the future economics because rents are going to keep rising, all of that kind of stuff. And so even over a shorter term period, the non-cash deductions of your assets, such as your depreciation, can spin that property back into positive cash flow territory, or at least take the edge off any negative cash flow that you've got to make it much more sustainable to continue to hold your property. Are there any other ways that property investors should be thinking about this to their advantage in the current environment? Yeah, I think, you know, we always like to be, and we hear about many investing professionals being counter-cyclical, but this is a time where I know lots of sophisticated investors who hold very large portfolios and institutionalized investors are buying. Mm. Uh, this is the time when you want to do it. Why? Because you're not competing with a huge amount of people in the market. Uh, finding those gems, though, are, are still tough because you still need to make sure the metrics work and the fundamentals are there. But, you know, from an accounting point of view, the one thing that I do tell clients all the time is don't get sucked into negative gearing being a strategy. I still know many clients who bought very negatively geared properties because they were just thinking about a marginal tax benefit they were going to receive. So they went out and bought, you know, brand new properties in very regional areas much more overpriced compared to comparable older properties. They went and bought brand new units um, where thousands of other units were coming up because they were so stuck on obtaining huge amounts of tax benefit that they forgot the real reason why we invest in property. And we invest in property for positive income, for the ability to pay down the debt, for the ability to retire off that asset. So the big thing is, is negative gearing is not a strategy. It's a silver lining. Um, that the tax office has created to assist you to hold property for the rental market. And you're still, your main goal needs to be in the long term, how can we get that property into a positive position? Nothing wrong with paying down investment properties as well. We hear that from many uh, property specialists and tax accountants that you should never pay down an investment property. The reality is, is that you should try to always pay down your personal debt or non-deductible debt first. That's where you want to channel as much as your cash, of your cash flow as you can. And then moving forward, the strategy needs to pivot one day to pay down the property. We still don't want to have huge amounts of debt at a, a late age. We want to try to pay down that when we can. So it's the strategy of when to pay down investment debt. And you know, over, over the long run, and I can say this after many years of being an accountant, I still haven't met anyone, Goose, that's been able to retire on negative geared properties. So the goal always still needs to be, how can we turn this into a positive geared and positive cash flow property? Mate, love it. That's, I think, a great place to leave this episode. Really appreciate your time. Lots of really good nuggets in there that most investors probably aren't thinking about. A lot of really good stuff in there. And so I really encourage you, 
if you're listening to this episode to go back and listen to this episode again because there's so much gold in there like man a lot of the stuff that you were talking about on this episode if i had known this at the start of my investing journey it would have like changed the game you know now i learned that over a period of a few years i managed to piece together little nuggets of bits and pieces i learned some new stuff on this episode too to be transparent but most people don't have access to this information so hopefully this is going to be a super helpful episode for people. So Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. Massively appreciate it. I look forward to having you on again soon. Always a pleasure, Gus. Thanks, mate.